0: You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams.
1: Welcome to the business of money. We have Lindsay Williams as co-host, StrictlyBusinessPodcast.com, Mia Kruger, director at Kruger International, and Anthony Clark, who is the founder and the brains behind Small Talk Daily, Um, which you can catch on Twitter and other social media platforms, 27-year equity analyst. So, Anthony, great to have you with us on the platform, and I'm going to kick off straight from your perspective with the focus on small and mid-caps and the value that is potentially in that sector to unlock.
2: Yeah, hi, Bronwyn. Very good to be here. It's been a while since we've done this interview. Um, Yeah, the small to mid-cap sector, I'm writing an article right now for the Financial Mail and it literally started to pick up sort of July last year, having been completely beaten down uh, in the last two to three years by the domestic lack of interest in the sector and of course the COVID sell-off we saw in March 2020. Since uh, late July, August last year, there's been a huge resurgence uh, in the underlying interest, specifically in small caps. did the indices last night, as of year to date, the small cap index is up 30% the mid-cap index, 18%, and the JSE All Share, only 16%, showing you where the outperformance has been in the last uh, you know, sort of eight or nine months in this country. And the valuations still look very compelling. Uh, the very fact we are continuing to see uh, positive trading updates, uh, buyout offers, activism from shareholders, and more importantly, activism from institutions who are now fed up of lazy management, not giving them returns, shows there's still... A lot of interest in the small cap market, which the wider market has yet to pick up on.
0: Anthony, can I stay with you on that one? Because I've always asked you this question in the years that we've been chatting with each other. At what stage of the economic cycle do the small and mid caps start to kick in? You said July last year, you started seeing a resurgence in interest in these particular stocks. Is it when the economy, for example, in this case, started to show signs of coming out of lockdown and therefore people say, right, it's ground level stocks in South Africa, domestic stocks that are gonna do well. Is that your experience? Yeah, basically,
2: I'm a well managed company. So these small companies tend to be very nimble. And unlike the larger corporations in this country, if a, if a pandemic or some crisis hits, they are very quick off the blocks to actually restructure their business, uh, to reallocate capital, to conserve cash, and to actually invest in what they need to do to keep a business going. And what I've found time and time again in the trading updates that have been coming out over the last few months from the likes of a cash built, Etal Tile, Samtova amongst others is they hit the ground running. They didn't wait and see what was going to happen. They said, let's restructure our business now. When the economy does reopen, we will be ready to start trading and making good profits. And that's exactly what happened. Mia, do you, look,
1: do you look at uh, mid-tier small caps uh, as a potential element in your portfolio or do you stay largely in, in the large cap arena?
3: Well, Brian and we've always, well, definitely the last couple of years, so leading up to the last 10 years, believed in a very broad diversification in our funds which means that we do have exposure to these exciting companies and i mean if there was anything ever that i wanted to know about a small cap i'd just go and look what what anthony said about it because that would give you a really good base and he's got a good history because he's been in the market so long and really following these companies and the nice thing is the fact that many of these smaller companies become mid companies become larger companies as as the years lead on and that is the nice thing about being invested in these companies and as anthony mentioned you know it's that whole uh, Than whole approach of these companies still being very much owner led and owner held with the people who are involved in the company still has a very uh, large stake and it does matter to them whether the company is, is managed well or not because they feel it in their pockets uh so and they've got uh, a much better in many cases much better relationship with people that's helped them build the company up to date which makes it more personal for them to act very fast when it comes to a downturn in the market etc i can just say that from our own business so it's very appropriate and very uh, very apparent when you look at these smaller companies and that's why they've been doing so well the well managed ones lately
0: yeah. Okay. Sorry about the drilling in the background, by the way, Bronwyn. If it becomes too onerous, I'll I'll I'll, I'll switch off. It's the builder next door. He's amazing. We can't hear it. Um, but- Oh, good. Thanks for that. Uh, Anthony, we we, we need to have a look at a few stocks now. We need to know the ones that you liked and the ones that you follow. I mean, we follow you on Twitter and you you make it very clear which ones are are in favour at the moment. But just give us a flavour of what's in favour, please.
2: Yeah, sure. Mia touched on a very, very good comment earlier where owner managed business tend to do a a lot better over the long run because they have a lot of skin and equity in the game. Um, I uh, flew to Durban about six weeks ago to meet with Jeb McIntosh. Now, Jeb McIntosh is the 74-year-old CEO of Combined Motor Holdings, uh, one of the country's largest retailers uh, of motor vehicles, involved in Ford, Nissan, Suzuki, amongst others. Now, he founded this business himself with a partner in 1976 in Durban. He's still running the business. 40 years later, the company's still doing well. It's now a massive business one and a half billion rand in market cap, 10 billion rand in revenue, and he's still the majority shareholder 40 years later. So in, in that case, again, he came out of a blocks running when COVID hit. They had a very large car rental business called First Car Rental, and whilst the large boys like Avis, Budget, Europe Car, waited to see how the tourism market would uh, you know, pan out given the, uh, the lack of flights and the tourism um, uh, uh, devastation, he said no. He literally started culling people and cutting the rental fleet immediately. So he went into COVID with a much, much lower cost base where the big boys were still humming and high. On the retail side, if you couldn't go and see a car in a showroom, he had a massive online presence and he had very innovative ways of you being able to buy a car. So all in all, it pays to be nimble. And despite being you know, in his 70s, he's still thinking like a modern day entrepreneur because he knows the motor retailing business so well and the trends when you speak to him it's not like speaking to a ceo it's like speaking to a car salesman but a good car salesman so the share price is trading at around 20 rand 20 cents there'll be a bit of a speed bump in the first six months because of the uh, cyril's latest lockdown in july but he expects to catch that up in the second half um so i'm expecting very good earnings for the company this year to, put, to bring the company down to a p of under eight but the interesting thing is of a 20 rand and 20 cents share price half of the company's market value exactly half is in cold hard dirty physical cash so if you take that out of a, of a, of a rating the stock is probably trading in a p of four for a well-managed 40 year old business still run by the founder as one example
1: so we're going to come back to other examples but mia let's get you to, to weigh in here and i mean anthony everybody around the table says they dip into your research on a regular basis. I'm not sure you knew that you actually created the backbone for all of the thinking around the, the, the small and mid-cap industry. But uh, Mia, from, from a small, medium cap, when you look at Anthony's research and the owner-managed um, element that is coming through strongly with the example of Jeb McIntosh and CMH, what, what is your view? Do you, is that where you go? in terms of that diversification
3: of your portfolio? Well, yes, I mean, for us in terms of the diversification, as I say, it's broad based. So it's, it's quite different in terms of portfolio construction than just to pick a, a couple of good shares, but definitely this is what makes up good equities. And this is what grows in equity portfolios. And, um, and the fact remains that there are so many of these smaller companies in South Africa that's looked over by people Following the the latest names and you know just what what 's going on in the media and they 're missing these smaller good companies in south africa and it 's the theme that david 's also alluded to quite often is that there are so many companies in south Africa that 's been listed for years that 's been around for many, many years, and that 's actually very solid businesses and that 's what you want to invest in if you want to follow the warren Buffett sort of way of buying good companies and holding on to companies with strong management. But I saw Anthony, and I don't even know that he, he saw me there. But the, we were in a in a in an investor presentation of of Afrimat the other day, and that's another example of an exceptional, uh, well managed company. The company has now actually grown from what they used to be to sort of advancing into the diversified mining space where. That's helped them a lot to be able to sustain some of the other business units that have struggled through COVID. But once again, a company that's very well managed by people having stake in the business, people who know uh, the employees, people who care for the employees and care for the working circumstances of the employees and try to uplift the communities where they operate in. So these companies actually do make a big difference on the ground in South Africa. And that's another one that I like a lot.
1: Lindsay, I know you. you're going to come in here, but I, to you, everybody loves AfriMAT. I mean, and Andre Van Heeren yeah. has been put forward as, uh, you know, a, a master capital allocator to borrow what Mia previously said about uh, Sibania Gold and Neil Furniman. But uh, sorry, I interrupted. I just wanted to say that everybody is putting their uh, thumbs up for AfriMAT.
0: Yeah, you preempted me, actually, because it hasn't been just in the last few months, it's been in the last couple of years. I can remember being uh, being in a place called Robertson, in the, in the, just on the fringe of the clay in Peru, and, and driving along and seeing a little aftermath operation and thinking, this thing is, is listed on the JSC, what's it all about? Uh, should it be listed? But now everybody loves it. And, and actually, just coming back on, again, I don't want to theorise too much about small caps and medium caps. But is it the fact that there are certainly large fund managers in South Africa that can't invest in them, or rather, won't invest in them because they don't move the needle in their portfolios, open an opportunity up for companies like yours and also small investors because they are under-owned by the big boys? That's part of a reason. That's part of
2: a reason, Lindsay, where you know, the, the, the larger guys. Let's pick an old mutual or a coronation. You know, for them to buy a material stake in a, in a small cap company to actually move the needle. By 0.1%. They'd probably have to buy the entire business, which is virtually impossible. Uh, so the smaller to mid-sized fund managers are very active in the space. But the, the thing that's become far more prevalent in the last two years uh, is that as the market has fundamentally shifted towards investing in the, what I call the Aussie 40, or the top 10, many of the brokers in this country who have fallen by the wayside have actually given up covering the sector because it hasn't become economic to have a team of analysts dedicated to covering you know, the smaller mm. companies. So we've seen over the years, I've been covering the market now since May 1996. So uh, I'm, a, I'm, an old, I'm an old bully here. And I've seen in that, uh, in that period, dozens of brokers just give up the coverage of that sector, which means that the information is still there. The interest is still there, but just isn't the coverage. So if you're a guy mm. or, a, or a girl you know, specializing in this sector, you have the entire universe pretty much to yourself. And that's one of the key reasons. So it's my job, you know, in the work that I do daily to actually try and bring these opportunities to investors and to the market. Not because I'm special, it's because I'm like the la- last man standing. It's uh, it's a bit like I'm the oldest living dinosaur in the zoo.
0: Self-deprecating <laughs> <laughs> um, as well, of course, yes. Um, Uh, Mia, we need need to get on now to other results. We're going to leave the small cap space for a while because there's been results this week. We've had NetBank out. We've had Xara. We've had MTN. I think MTN is the one that is probably the most interesting because not only did it go up, after his trading update a week or so ago, but it also went up after its results this week. And that's, that's a very unusual occurrence, Mia.
3: It is. I mean, it is. As Simon actually alluded to in a conversation that I heard yesterday, is that he, he didn't expect it and he was caught with his pants on his ankles. Um, and the fact is that, MCN was cheap for a very long time. People were very hesitant of the share and I mean was uh, uh, right because it it was more risky. They've got a much more risky business operation than Vodacom, for instance, when you compare that to to something else in the sector. They have operations through Africa, which makes it tough. We know it's difficult to operate in Africa. And they had a lot of cash signed up in Africa. They've had a uh, negative press around the uh, fines and not uh, you know, working with the regulator, but they've become better with all of this. And, um, and they are actually doing a couple of interesting things. That's not really moving the needle on their results yet. But in the fintech space, and that was one of the big sort of uh, media breaks that we, we heard yesterday as well with Sunlum working uh, alongside them with JV, that they'll focus on on, 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 on um, insurance and investments for people in Africa. And, you know, when you look at those numbers, the penetration rates of, of uptake in cell phones in, or, or mobile in, in Africa is still below 40%, which is very low. I mean, worldwide, when you consider developed markets, it's more than 100% so there's a lot of scope for growth it 's not going to be a high margin business because the fact is that most people in Africa aren't bankable because not because they don't have the infrastructure which is one of the major concerns or major problems but because they're not financially there to be bankable they 're not the the ideal client for a bank um, and neither for an insurance company so this will benefit the, the 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 people in Africa I think more than these companies, but it will give them a good footprint to leverage off on other areas so we 'll have to see where that goes, but they 've got such a broad sort of um, um, net thrown out in the fintech space that at this stage it 's less than nine percent of their revenue, but it 's growing at over twenty two percent per 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 uh, six months so Something interesting to watch. Definitely much more exciting than Vodacom for me. Um, and it's paid the, the, risky, the risk-hungry investor who held my, um, MTN at a cheap price.
1: And Lindsay opens to Nedbank coming out uh, with interims uh, this week. Yeah. A big discussion on the banks as well as to, and, and Mia, I've heard you say before <laughs> that the banks don't interest you. You, you stand by that view. Uh, what would it take for them to stop interesting you?
3: Look, banks are boring by nature. So, um, mm. so they don't interest me because they're boring. But that doesn't mean that we don't have exposure to them. So we do have exposure to them. We do have exposure to Capitec, to, to First Rand, you know, the, the stronger banks, the banks, that have done sort of more exciting things lately. Um, the last couple of years, that's Grow Strong, that's focused on the African story, the South African story. You need to be an emerging market bank or you either need to be so niche that you're only exposed to the top end of the market. And we see how Discovery Bank struggling to really get into that space. So it's a tiny area of the market so not everyone can go and play there if you can't make that, you need to focus on the broad-based um, population in South Africa. And that's people with no money or very little money. And that's what Capitec has done very well up until now. So the banking space, even though it remains boring, there's still some investment merit. I don't think that the, the, the older legacy banks have, the, uh, they don't They don't have the, what it takes to, to move away from all their legacy technology, employ new um, new technology and just go forward and go where the market takes them in terms of fintech. So fintech will have the upper hand. We look at companies that's not even listed like Yoko, which is quite an interesting one in South Africa for me. They've got a payment platform if you've um, bought anything lately at a small vendor or a hairdresser or whatever, you'd probably have paid with a little... Uh, Um, with a little Yoko uh, card machine. And, um, you know, companies like that are just disrupting a lot of the area where these banks can make money from. Um, So because these banks are slow to move, that's just how it is but they still remain sort of a backbone. They're well capitalized in South Africa. We, our banks have been well capitalized for many years, uh, going through the, the, the financial crisis, going through COVID. And um, and these banks on our right, writing back a lot of that pre- provisioning that they've made that was uh, being too conservative as banks normally are, which is a good thing. Uh, so, yeah, you get my story of being boring, but um, not all that bad. They just can't make a lot of money from their Basic business of lending and um, and and investing money because rates are low, so margins are low.
0: Actually, you, you 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 call yourself a dinosaur, but you're not a myopic dinosaur. You don't just restrict yourself <coughs> you to small companies. You must, in your spare time, have a look at companies like Nedbank and Xaro, another company that came up with results this week, and also MCN. Have you got any views on any of the larger stocks that have come out? Well,
2: I, I, I keep an iron but again, uh, you know, us dinosaurs tend to stick to the, to the species where so we can actually kill and uh, actually make a, 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 you know, a, a meaningful meal for our investors. So, for example, as Mia was talking uh, about earlier about the banks, in 40 years, I have never personally bought a banking share. Every single crisis that the stock market globally has seen over the last 30 or 40 years has been banking related from a Russian lending crisis, Mm. the the subprime crisis, et cetera, et cetera. So I stay away from banks for a reason. Um, On MTM, for example, um, it was an absolutely um, astonishing trade April last year. Um, I was buying from one of my funds at 44 rand. Uh, It was completely beaten down. People were concerned about the Nigerian situation, the possible tax implications, had Africa gone X growth, what was going on domestically? But the underlying business, even if you stripped out all the African operations, the domestic business was worth probably sixty Rand a share. So I thought mm-hmm. at forty four Rand, there's still inherent value here, and Africa is never going to go away. It just needs to be managed carefully. And here we are now at 115, 120 Rand, we're still a good runway ahead with new innovation, new technology, new platforms. And you know, who, who will say in the next 10 or 20 years where technology will take businesses? Uh, and I'm sure the evolution of telecommunications and, and things we take for granted today, in 10 years time, we'll say, well, how on earth do we actually live without that? And companies like yeah. MTN, Vodacom, amongst others, are absolutely well-placed to take advantage. And, I still own MTN, even though it's uh, it's gone up nearly one hundred and fifty percent. Mia, did you want to come in here? Because
1: uh, you
3: were no, I'm just nodding. I'm agreeing with what Anthony said. You know, the, the share price was so beaten down; it didn't make any sense. Um, but you know, they at that stage, a lot of people were concerned about risks that they they couldn't quantify because clearly, if the, the South African business was worth more than you were paying, there's merit in buying the share and even since the beginning of the year when it was still trading around 60 rand it's doubled now just because people sort of caught up to the valuation of the share and that's just sort of purely valuation driven not even about any prospects of the company going forward so yeah i mean you need to do your work um on I ask you, is when the prices are low is both
1: of you need to, to give me this is it too late to get into mtn at the levels that it is at now
3: no, they're not expensive. So I think it's still, it's still a cheapish company to buy. And
1: so, a, just, you know, interesting,
0: there's that. so many stocks, sorry Bronwyn, I have to say this now, otherwise I'll forget about it. You know my <laughs> brain, it's like a sieve. There's so many stocks here over the years, over the last few years that have been priced for failure. Look at Sasso at 22. Look at MTN. Uh, Anthony's saying he was buying it for his clients at 44. Look at Cumber Iron Ore, yeah. which was below 30, and now it's paying 72 rand dividends, for goodness sake. Yeah. Anglo-American in the low 50s. And look at them now. If you're patient and you look at a company and say, this is, a, this is Anglo-American, for goodness sake. This is Kumba Iron Ore. Yeah. If you're really, really patient, and you have to be patient, then these opportunities, when they come up, I, I, I like gold dust isn 't it Mia? it's it, there's been so many examples recently, obviously Steinhoff, you would have got stuffed up, but uh, yeah. mostly you would have done so incredibly well
3: no i mean that's that's the that's the whole point of investing and um and when you consider you know the the principles of investing isn't it 's easy to grasp but it 's difficult to to have the stamina and the uh the discipline to stick to them. And that's the whole reason why people start selling stuff when the market goes down because they, they act on emotion. And, you know, unfortunately, very few of us in this forum has has, has been in a position where we, we had so much cash available that when market crashes happened, we could just deploy numerous amounts of cash. You obviously then buy what you can, but most of us have been in the market. So we went through these crashes and just went out the other side again. Uh, so that, the, the emotional side of investing will always remain what, what, uh, what, uh, what actually makes the distinction between people who do make money out of investments and don't. Buying and selling and just acting on the latest thing that you hear in the media is not really going to get you anywhere. Uh, long ga- the long-term game plan and valuations is what's, what it's all about.
1: So, Lindsay, I want to tap into your expertise here because you have been watching the inflation the u s markets the the rand. Uh, give us a sense because we 've got uh, a couple of minutes left, but you know we need this content to make informed decisions, give us a sense of of what you are seeing in that landscape, and then we 'll go to close out. For closeout, Anthony, I want to warn you, I want to talk about your uh, timbers in your fold, and uh, mm-hmm. there's another stock potentially you want to throw forward to. And then, Mia, you're going to also give us, you know, your ultimate stock of, of interest. Lindsay?
0: Okay. <laughs> Just a quick one on U.S. inflation, because U.S. inflation determines the price of money and the price of the U.S. dollar, rather, and the price of the U.S. dollar if that affects the rand, and therefore every stock in the JSE Securities Exchange. This week we had consumer price inflation, Uh, at 5.4% year-on-year for the second month in a row. And although it was down month-on-month, it's still a big number to me. And uh, despite the fact that the Fed said it's transitory, the next day, i.e. yesterday, we got PPI inflation, producer price inflation. The factory goods, um, uh, goods leaving the factory, uh, how much they've gone up in a year, 7.8% a multi-year high. And you look at the shipping rate this week, the Baltic Dry Index, um, hit an 11-year high. So inflation is there and inflation is real. And I do think we have to have a look at that and how it affects the, the, the U.S. dollar because, as I said, it's it's the bedrock of um, of, of every single company on the JSC. But uh, over to you, Roman, on the, on the closing comments and, and stocks of interest.
1: Stocks of interest. So York Timbers, talk to me and, and again, throw forward to... Anything else that you think is important for us to get Yeah,
2: listen, for many, many years, uh, the benefit of being fully independent is that you have nobody looking behind your back to, uh, to wrap you over knuckles if you, if you get too uh, uh, contentious regarding a stock. And I've always been known as being a rebel with a cause. Uh, and when I see a company like York Timbers, uh, which for many, many years has been absolutely uh, uh, dismal in its performance, and in the last few weeks, uh, a small investment outfit called A2 Investment Partners uh, which has an ex-coronation fund manager and an ex-executive from HCI involved in looking to become activists. They took a 16.21% stake in York at about 1 rand 75, and the share price is now about 3 rand 30. Now, in the last two weeks, they have added more value to York shareholders than the underlying York board has done in 12 years. The share price high of York was 15 rand in 2007. It hit a low of in the rands. Now, in the last 10 years the share price has fallen 45%. You've received no dividends in 10 years. And in the same period, the small cap company with a market value of five or 600 million rand has paid its board and its executives 100 million rand in compensation, with the CEO, sadly he's now passed away, being given two tranches of 10 million rand for doing a great job, even though the company has been an unmitigated failure for 10 years. So an activist comes in saying, we can see value here. The net asset value is nine rand a share. You were trading at 175. Sadly, the CEO passed away. The old uh, patrician fiefdom board needs to be restructured. The 81-year-old chairman needs to step down and let what I would call fresh saplings look at the dead wood. And there's been abject rejection. York Timbers do not want to engage with a large new shareholder who also holds proxies for nearly 50% of the shareholders. So the York border is saying our jobs are far more important than you, the 50% shareholders. So there's a fight going on. So the reason I'm interested is, one, because I love a fight. Two, I love a huge net asset value play. And thirdly, with a share price already having doubled in the space of a fortnight through activism. It shows you what activism can do in this country if the right team comes in to get the right company going. And then shareholders, and most importantly, the BEE trusts behind these deals can end up making money. Because in the case of York, sadly, the BEE shareholders and the staff have lost a fortune in 10 years.
1: I can't let you go without hearing about Novus.
2: Yes, again, Novus is a fantastic business. It is now. Um, basically, it was owned by Media24, which is part of a nasper 's empire. And in 2015, they realized that print media uh, was, a, was, a, was a dying business. So they cleverly unbundled the print media operation, which used to be called Pal Media. And they renamed it Novus, and it's it's print books and 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 newspapers, etc., etc. But as we know, that segment of the market, due to the digital economy, is actually dying. So a company from 15 rand listing hit a low of 65 cents, and then at about uh, a rand, uh, again, A2 Capital Partners behind the York transaction spotted a company which had prodigious cash flows, had a market value of around 600 million rand, and sat on cash of 450 million rand so you had a business stripping of the cash literally worth 150 million rand and they thought hey we can make a plan here they bought media 24 stake 17.48 percent they then bought out the potential stake they're now on about 30 percent and in the in that period the share price has gone from a rand uh to three rand 50 we're now down to about two rand 80 and they've paid out a 50 cent special dividend and they still have lots of net and the runway to restructure the business. So once again, just highlighting, but these um, small cap companies, which have perhaps underperforming management, but are stuffed full of either cash or assets that are right to the picking. So as Mia correctly said earlier, they are out there, but it's up to people like Mm. us to kick the tires, go and do the side visits, because they aren't easily apparent to the market. You have to find them. It's like digging for diamonds. You have to go through a lot of rock to find a sparkler. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I agree. And that's, you know, an important part of this is that not all companies are great companies, as Anthony just alluded to. So you need to know what you're buying before you just jump into it and why you're buying it. But on that note, you know, I've been talking about Sabanya Stillwater now for a couple of weeks. And um, for me, it's such an interesting company that I just can't understand how the market is getting it so wrong in terms of the price. This company generates about nine billion rands of cash a month at this moment. So in about four months, just over a quarter, it earns more cash than it's paid for all its acquisitions up until now, which is about forty billion and it paid in total for all the the acquisitions. What they paid for Marikana and four point three for the Lonman mines for four point at four point three billion looks like a joke now when you look back at that at um at, at, at what where we stand today. So this company is highly cash-generative. It has net cash on its balance sheet. It's got a market cap of of less than 180 um, billion. Not. And the share is trading at, I think, a very, very cheap price. When you consider what they could be coming out with next week in terms of their results, we could expect a a price earnings a forward price earnings as low as two times, which is staggeringly low for a company with the prospects uh, that that we see with Sabania Stillwater. They focused in the right areas for me going forward, where they look at uh, battery technology, they look at battery minerals and battery mining. They uh, they've got that plant where they. Where they um, uh, recycle platinum from in in the US, that's very strong for them. So they're not only in the mining sector, but they are also focusing on recycling of platinum group metals. They are looking at you know, as I say, the battery metals where they've got a, f- a small Finnish investment that looks very interesting. They're investing now in a in a French uh, project. So. Lots of areas that I think the growth going forward in terms of companies and countries becoming very emission um, um, cognizant, especially with what we've heard this past week again on the Paris Agreement, it's something that should be worrying for everyone. Uh, And they will be in the right space. They've done the investments, made the investments when it wasn't popular to do so. And it just seems like Neil Froneman is a good allocator of capital in terms of when he allocated to these projects and how he's done so. And we still expect, you know, they will come out next week with good results and that they will actually be paying a lot of dividends to the shareholders as well. So... Yeah, and that could lead to a, a dividend yield of around 15%. So let's let's have a look and see where it goes. But at the current price, it's cheap.
0: He's a proper digger and dealer, isn't he, Neil Frodman? He's a great yeah. <laughs> he's, he's he's fantastic. I'm just going to throw in my stock of interest without any fundamental analysis, just because I looked at it, Bronwyn, uh, a year ago, 13 months ago, Anglo Gold Shanty was close to 600 rand a share. Today, it's close to 200 a share and quietly gold shares have been destroying wealth I think maybe there's a, an opportunity to start uh, accumulating anyway that was the Business of Money it was populated this week by Mia Banks of Boring Kruger from Kruger International in the Western Cape Anthony I'm a dinosaur Clark from Small, to, small Talk uh, Daily and of course uh, our host Roman Nielsen. Nielsen the name dropper and Business of Money will be back at the same time next week